0: Good morning again. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 12 will be our sermon text for this morning. Acts 13 verses 1 through 12. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be some Bibles in the back just outside uh, the doors there on the table. And I should say as well, if you don't own a Bible, uh, you should feel free not only to grab a Bible from the back uh, to use for the service, but you can take it home with you, write your name in it. Bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Let's pray before we read God's Word. Our Father, we come to you to hear from you. We need uh, need you. We need your Word. We need your truth. Father, we need your Spirit to understand your Word. We need your Spirit uh, to work in us. Uh, to conform us to the image of Jesus. Father, I need your spirit that I would speak what is true and right and good. And So we pray that you would pour out your spirit now on me as I speak, on us as we hear. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified as we look to you through your word. Father, we pray that you would uh, be with us, soften our hearts, open us up to what you have to say to us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Well, God has given us a mission in life. That's true whether you are a pastor, a baker or candlestick maker, right? Uh, God has a calling on each of our lives. The book of Acts is a book about the mission of the church. Jesus is establishing his church in Acts, laying the foundation through the apostles and the prophets so that his gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, would go to the ends of the earth. You may remember this all started back in Acts chapter one, right, where Jesus commissioned the apostles. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, Jesus then pours out that spirit on all of his people so that male and female, young and old, speak about the great things that God had done. Uh, Then you have the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. They record the gospel going to Jerusalem. And it ends uh, in chapter 7 with uh, the Jewish people as a whole uh, actually rejecting the gospel and stoning Stephen. And then you have chapters 8 through 12, which record the gospel going out to Judea and Samaria following the pattern that Jesus laid out in Acts 1.8. Uh, that section, two ends with further persecution, uh, the arrest and rescue of Peter and the martyrdom of James. Well, that brings us to chapter 13 this morning. And uh, in, chapter 13 really begins in earnest the, the mission uh, of God to the ends of the earth, And uh, while it's true that uh, not everything in Acts is a model for the church today, uh, the continuing mission of the church is an extension of the mission of the apostles. And so we're going to look at three things in this passage this morning. We'll look at the call to mission, the opposition to this mission, and the power that God has given for missions. And uh, as we look at at the passage, we're going to At the same time, look at three questions for us, uh, both us as a church and us as individuals. uh, Where has the Spirit sent us? What stands in our way? And whom do we trust for gospel fruit? Uh, So first, the the call to mission, or or where has the Spirit sent us? Chapter 13 begins in Antioch. Uh, it, It really is kind of a beautiful picture of the church with uh, this, this multi-staff ministry in Antioch, right? It's, it's the leadership there is made up of Barnabas, uh, a Jew from Cyprus sent from Jerusalem. Simeon called Niger, probably because he was black. Uh, Lucius, uh, a Latin name and so a Roman. Um, Lucius was fra- from Cyrene in Northern Africa. Uh, And uh, according to Acts chapter 11, it was men from Cyrene who first shared the gospel with Gentiles in Antioch. And so uh, maybe Lucius was one of those men. So he's one of the Antioch church planters. Uh, And then you have Menaean. It's it's a little unclear, his relationship to Herod. Um, The NIV and the NASB and the King James Version all say that Menaean was brought up with Herod. Uh, the, The New Living Translation says he was a childhood companion of Herod. And the ESV, believe it or not, it depends which ESV you have. Uh, The the older ESV says he was a member of the court of Herod and the newer ESV says he was a lifelong friend of Herod. Uh, Whatever the case is, you you get the point, Manaan is somehow close to Herod. Uh, He was probably close from from when they were kids even and grew up close to Herod. Uh, This is the Herod, by the way, who put John the Baptist to death and interrogated Jesus before returning him to Pilate. And now one of his close confidants has become a leader in the church in Antioch. Uh, Finally, you have listed Saul, persecutor turned preacher. And uh, what's striking about this list really is the variety of people in leadership, right? Black and white, Jew and Gentile, Roman and Greek, common and upper class, Uh, the church in Antioch was led by a a truly multicultural uh, staff. Uh, From this church, the missionary movement to the nations uh, began in force. Well, how did it begin? Verses uh, 2 and 3 say this. uh, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Here is the the church being attentive to God's leading. Uh, Notice in verse two, they're worshiping the Lord, they're fasting, the the spirit speaks. Uh, Then there's more fasting and prayer before the laying on of hands and and sending these two men off. Here's a, a church that is focused on Jesus, right? Worshiping and praying and fasting you may wonder, well, why were they fasting? What's the, what's the point of that where uh, we are a culture, even a church culture, a Christian culture that is not familiar with fasting, not as familiar as we should be. Uh, so why are they fasting? Well, there are really two reasons to fast in Scripture. The, the first is fasting is a type of mourning, right? Feasting is the way we rejoice. Uh, after, so for example, a wedding, right? You, you tend to eat together, right? Uh, it's a way of celebrating. Feasting is rejoicing, fasting is mourning. Um, but that's not what's going on here, right? Uh, at least we don't have any indication that they're mourning, so why are they fasting? Uh, the second reason uh, people fast is it's a way of setting aside uh, the things of earth for a time to be attentive to the voice of heaven, right? It's, it's, it's intentionally setting aside the, the, your basic needs for a time, in order to focus your attention on God. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if I can draw an analogy, it's, it's kind of like with your phone, right? Um, most of us realize, maybe, maybe I should say, some of us realize uh, that in order to be attentive to the people in front of you, you must set aside your phone, right? Uh, you have to turn it off, you have to put it away, um, Uh, Why do we do that? Well, because if you're focused on the texts and the tweets and the Facebook messages, uh, if I'm focused on those things, I'm not focused on the people in front of me. Uh, In order to be present with someone, we have to set aside other things. Uh, If I sit at a dinner table reading a book, right, I'm not being present at that table. Uh, Fasting here is a way of being attentive to God, a way of being present to Him. Uh, And so the leaders of the church set aside their normal routine of life, even eating for a time, right, in order to worship God and pray to him, to be present to him. And the result is that the spirit here, likely through one of the prophets, speaks. What does he say? Well, he says in verse 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And as they gave their attention to God, as they listened to him, he spoke and sent Barnabas and Saul into the mission field. Now, there are a couple of things that we should note here. The first is that the Spirit gives direction as the church is attentive to God. Now, we've already seen and talked about throughout the book of Acts that the offices of apostle and prophet Uh, were for the foundation laying of the church. And uh, that means we we shouldn't expect the spirit to speak in quite the same way that he did in Antioch. Um, That doesn't mean though that that God no longer leads his people. Uh, First and foremost, of course, he leads us through his word. And uh, as we've seen again and again, we must test everything by scripture. And what that means is we can pray for the spirit to uh, illuminate our hearts and minds To the teaching of Scripture, right? So that we can understand what the the Bible says, so that we can understand the will of God found in Scripture for our lives. But of course, Scripture has to be applied, right? It has to be taken and applied to my circumstances. And so we must also pray, we can also pray for the Spirit to lead us in that application. And so, are we listening? Right? Are, are, we, are we listening as individuals? Are we listening as a church? Are we collectively listening to God? Are we, are we fasting and praying to be attentive to him? Um, are we engaged in, in sort of open-eared prayer, right, where, where we're, we are collectively seeking God's guidance for us as a church? Um, can I ask you right, to be praying for us as a church? I know there are a number of visitors here this morning, but I can ask you as well right, to be praying for us. Uh, even, even as you leave here, you get on a plane, you go somewhere else uh, to your own home churches, uh, keep, keep praying for us uh, as a church. Um, pray that God would guide us in our mission, uh, that he would give us direction and wisdom and focus as we serve him in Champaign-Urbana. Um, we, we don't want to come to those kinds of things uh, from our own minds. Uh, we don't want to just you know, make something up and, and serve God in that way. No, we, we want to be guided by His Spirit. And so pray, uh, whether you're a part of this church or, or connected with this church in some other way, right? pray for us uh, that God would lead us. And of course, pray especially that the Spirit would God guide the leadership of this church. Uh, it, it was the leaders of Antioch that were fasting and praying here when the Spirit led them. And so uh, pray with me that God would guide us as a church, especially uh, through, through the elders of this church. So uh, the first thing to note, the Spirit gives direction as the church is attentive, uh, listening, uh, waiting, expecting for God to lead and guide. Uh, the second thing to note is that here Barnabas and Saul uh, right, are, are, are set apart to a very specific work, and surely Barnabas and Saul were set apart to a unique work. Uh, Barnabas and Saul, the, the, these initial missionaries to the Gentile world, but of course the truth is that all of God's people uh, have been set apart to God's work. Um, there are really two errors to be avoided here, right? The, the one is that not everyone is sent, that, that ministry is just for the professionals, um, but if, all of us are servants of God. All of God's people are his servants. All of God's people are given gifts for the upbuilding of the body, and so all are sent in some way. All of us are called to serve him. Of course, the other error to be avoided is to think that all people are sent in the same way or to the same work. Um, But there's a variety of giftedness, isn't there? There are a variety of roles in the body, a variety of callings in the church. And so all are sent, but not all are sent in the same way or to the same work. You know, Christians, that the Bible tells us, have been scattered throughout the world as the light of the world. Uh, Jesus told us to let our light so shine before others that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And Paul says in Philippians 2.15 that we're all sent to shine as lights in the world. And that's true in, in how we live. That's true in how we live out our vocations. It's, it's true as we seek to use our gifts to serve those in need. That's true as we seek to build up the church, as we speak the truth to one another in love, as we serve one another as scripture commands us to. And so the question for each one of us is how have, how have you been sent to so, so shine, right? How have you been sent to so uh, let your light shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven? Um, if you're not sure, right, well, what do you do? Well, you do exactly what uh, these people were doing in Antioch, you pray. And ask for the spirit to guide you in that uh, you pray and and be open to his leading and then you look around and you see what opportunities are there and you and you uh, you take them you know maybe some in this room are being called to overseas missions right the gospel does need to go to other parts of the world there are still places in the world uh, where the gospel has not been heard So maybe some of you are being called uh, overseas like Paul and Barnabas. Maybe you're you're being sent out to some uh, other country. Uh, Maybe some of you are being called to pastoral ministry. Uh, Pray, right? Ask the Spirit to help you understand the scriptures, that you might apply it to your own circumstances, that you might uh, discern God's call on your life. Uh, Ask the Spirit to lead you. Offer your heart to him, to follow him course, maybe you're not uh, being called to overseas missions. Maybe you're not being called to to any kind of full-time ministry. That's fine, right? Seek to serve the Lord where you find yourself, both in the world and in the church, right? Seek to serve God right where you are until he calls you somewhere else. Of course, whatever else God might be calling you to or me to or us to, we're all called to pray, Jesus said to the disciples in Luke 10, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we can all pray, right? We've done that already this morning. Uh, We did it in Sunday school. We, We can pray for missions. We can pray for missionaries, right? We can pray for the work of the church. We can pray for our own gospel opportunities to show and tell God's grace in Jesus, we can pray earnestly, knowing that God will answer our prayers, right, because it's the very prayer that he told us to pray. And so pray. Whatever else God is calling you to do, you can pray for his work. Um, th- this missionary movement of God to the nations began with fasting and prayer, uh, with the result that the Spirit sent Barnabas and Saul out uh, to God's work. And if, if we, have a ch- as a church, are to be used as Antioch in God's mission, We must be attentive to God's leading, seeking the guidance of the Spirit and being willing to go when called, that we each, using the gifts and opportunities we have been given, might shine as lights in the world. And yet, just because uh, the Spirit sends us to our neighbors or to the nations uh, doesn't mean it will be easy. So that brings us to our second point, the opposition to, to the mission, or what is it that stands in our way? Um, you know, it wasn't long uh, before Barnabas and Saul met opposition. Verse 4 says, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, uh, they, they sail to Cyprus. They immediately begin to pr- proclaim the Word of God. And uh, they go through the whole island. They get to the opposite shore. And uh, verse 6, they come upon a magician, uh, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus, And uh, he was, uh, Bar-Jesus was also named Elemas, Apparently, he was part of the court of the proconsul uh, Sergius Paulus. And uh, it's likely that Elemis was a kind of advisor to this civil ruler. Um, maybe he saw himself uh, as, as like a, a Joseph in Pharaoh's court or, or like a Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Here's this Jewish prophet, false prophet, but Jewish prophet, right, uh, who is uh, advising this civil ruler. Well, Elemis Uh, is Jewish, but he's also a magician, which considering the warnings in the Old Testament against magic, this should strike us as kind of odd. Um, Deuteronomy 18 says, there shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination, or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. That pretty much covers everything uh, in the magic category. And what this means is, Elemas is less like Joseph than he is like the magicians in Pharaoh's court who failed before Joseph showed up. He's less like Daniel than he is like the magicians of Babylon who opposed Daniel. The truth be told, Elemas is like the magicians in Egypt who oppose Moses and delude Pharaoh into thinking that it's all just smoke and mirrors. Elemas is not called a prophet, but a false prophet. Why is Elemas a false prophet? Well, well, what is the hallmark of being a false prophet? Um, There are probably lots of things we could mention, but but God says of false prophets in the book of Jeremiah, I have not sent the prophets, yet they ran. I I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. What makes someone a false prophet? They they were not sent by God. Well, Well, what that means is we have here really a showdown of prophet versus false prophet. Because remember, Paul and Barnabas have just been sent. Verse four, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, right? They have been sent to speak God's word, Elemas has not. What this means is while Elemas is like the magicians in Egypt and Babylon, Barnabas and Paul are like Joseph and Moses and Daniel. And as with each of these stories, it will quickly become evident where the true power lies. Elymas this advisor, opposes Barnabas and Saul, and it's really not too difficult to guess why. Uh, he has the ruler's ear, right? He is in a position of influence. Uh, suddenly, along come Barnabas and Saul, and notice in verse seven, uh, Sergius Paulus, we're told, a man of intelligence uh, summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. And so Elymas like so many others in uh, the book of Acts and in the gospels, is jealous. He likes his position of power and influence, but the powers of this age, we know, are ultimately empty. Right? The resurrection proves that. Uh, those who, who were in power put Jesus to death, and he died in, in weakness, the Bible says. But Jesus rose from the dead, showing that their power was ultimately powerless, and that his weakness was true power. And this is why the gospel is a threat, right? Anyone who has become comfortable in the present age, anyone who has figured out how to make the age of sin work for them, uh, anyone who capitalizes on the powers of this age for their own advantage, uh, if they rightly understand the gospel, they will perceive it as a threat. See, very often, uh, we end up afraid of those in power, right? Uh, their, their magic or their influence or their money, Uh, They can gossip behind our backs, and they can murder our reputations, and they can give us a failing grade. Uh, They can put us in jail or put us to death. And so we shrink back because we're afraid, afraid of being misunderstood, or afraid of being misquoted, or afraid of being maligned. But their power is ultimately powerless. Uh, Any death that they can deal out is nothing that the resurrection can't handle, right? Though we die with Christ, we know that we will rise with him. We're sure to face opposition from those in positions of power, right? Those who have something to lose. Um, Those who have found a way to make the present world system work for them. Uh, The message of the resurrection, though, means that this present world system has been overturned and overruled and will fade away. So we must not let the threat of worldly trouble terrorize us. Think about it. What, What powers of this age intimidate you? Is it it money or reputation or degrees or politics? Um, If we are faithful, sooner or later, as we preach the gospel, as we share the gospel with those around us, we will have to declare their power powerless, their righteousness unrighteousness. When we do that, uh, that will likely bring trouble. So the question is, what do we do then? Well, this brings us to the, the third point, which is the power for mission. Or whom do we trust for gospel fruit? The power for mission is, is obvious in the book of Acts, isn't it? Uh, as, as we've read through the book of Acts, we've seen again and again that the power for God's mission is word and spirit. It's very simple. It's very plain. Jesus said it, Acts 1-8, You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And, and notice that the Spirit here not only sent Barnabas and Saul, but he went with them. Uh, verse 9, Saul, uh, who we are now told was also called Paul, was filled with the Spirit. Uh, this is one of the, the many biblical justifications for that old adage, maybe you've heard it, that, that God does not uh, call the equipped, but he equips the called. Um, meaning that, that the Holy Spirit calls Paul two missions, and then the Holy Spirit empowers Paul for missions. Um, what, what had the Spirit called Paul to do? Well, though verse two doesn't actually say, uh, it's pretty clear that the call was to proclaim the word. Uh, Why do we know that? Because that's immediately what they begin to do. Uh, The the word of God or the word of the Lord or the teaching of the Lord is mentioned seven times in this chapter as a whole. And of course, it's mentioned many, many more times in the book of Acts. That means the Holy Spirit sent Paul to face the powers of this age with nothing but the word of the gospel. Uh, Paul does, of course, face down Elymas uh, Bar-Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He, He looks at him in verse 10. And he says this, he says, "'You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, "'full of all deceit and villainy, "'will you not stop making crooked "'the straight paths of the Lord.'" Uh, There's actually a a little play on words here because Elemas' name uh, is Bar-Jesus, and uh, Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus or son of Joshua. And uh, Paul says, no, you're, you're no son of Jesus, you are son of the devil. And uh, Paul calls him out in ways that would probably make most of us blush. Uh, certainly the powers that be in our day would say Paul was too harsh with Elemis. Um but Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. He calls him out and he strikes him blind, or God strikes him blind through Paul. Uh, notice uh, this is the same thing that happened to Paul earlier in the book of Acts. Paul too was struck blind on the road to Damascus. Um, And notice that, as with Paul, this blindness, too, is just temporary. Paul says you will will be blind for a time. Uh, Maybe God had plans for Elemis yet. Uh, Maybe, as with Paul, God wanted to discipline him or rebuke him and humble him and turn him back to himself. Maybe Elemis was later on used for gospel missions like Paul was. We have no idea. Uh, whatever the case, immediately a mist and darkness falls upon him. elmas like Paul before him, must seek someone to lead him by the hand. Uh, but notice the outcome of the whole thing in verse 12. Then the, the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Uh, it, it strikes me that Luke doesn't say he was astonished at the miracles of the Lord. Certainly the miracle had an effect on him, but it was the teaching that astonished him. It was the teaching that he believed, according to verse 12. Uh, Jesus too, you may remember, he performed uh, miracles and taught and the people were astonished at his teaching because Jesus taught as one with authority. Uh, Now, we're not Jesus and we're not the apostles. Um, We we don't expect our teaching to be accompanied by miraculous signs and wonders. Uh, If God chooses to do amazing things, so be it, that's his business, but uh, the apostolic message has already been authenticated. All we need to do is proclaim it, trusting in the power of the spirit to use it in people's lives. The the truth is, though, uh, that more often than not, we don't trust word and spirit, uh, we want something a little more impressive to convert the nations. We want uh, the powers of this age, whether magic or money or miraculous powers or politics, right? We, we're always looking for some new angle on the gospel. But God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Jesus died in weakness and rose by the power of God. We now proclaim that message in weakness. The, the, the folly of the cross is followed up by the folly of preaching. Uh, that the God who uh, God that God will save through the cross is folly. That God will save through the simple message of the cross is folly as well. Both the message and the mes- method, the message and the method of salvation, is foolishness to the world. See, on the one hand, uh, this means something encouraging, which is that uh, all, all um, it's not all up to us to convert people. Uh, We we don't have to coerce people into the kingdom. Uh, We don't have to use the powers at our disposal to manipulate and cajole and convince. Uh, We can simply proclaim the gospel and let the Spirit work. On the other hand, though, it's not just a a let go and let God, if he wants to save people, he'll do it, right? Uh, Effort is required. Uh, Paul must speak the word of the Lord. And then he steps back and lets the Spirit use that word in people's hearts, so what is the power for mission, right? In whom do we trust for gospel fruit? We proclaim the word and then we trust the spirit. And I have to say, it really is that simple. You know, often my temptation is to, to pretty up the gospel somehow, to finesse it, to, to wordsmith it until it's just right, because then people will really believe. No, uh, they won't, right? Don't do that. Uh, yes, we study, and yes, we learn, and yes, we articulate the gospel as well as we can, uh, but then we, we, we lay it out there and we trust the Spirit. How often have I said nothing because I was afraid that I wouldn't get it quite right? Um, of course I won't get it quite right, right? I mean, I, I'm imperfect, I'm broken, I'm weak, I'm sinful, uh, but God's power is perfected in our weakness. And God's Spirit uh, is with us to bear fruit through His Word. And so pray for the Spirit to be active, pray for the Spirit to fill you, and then uh, to the world that is enamored with the powers of this age, just show and tell Jesus by by living in weakness in the hope of the Spirit's resurrection power. Where has God sent us? Are are we listening, right? Are, Are we willing to go? What stands in our way? What people, what forces oppose us today, even here, even now? What power has God given, and what do we trust for gospel fruit? Well, pray that we would listen to God, that we would go where he sends. Uh, Don't fear the powers of this age, but trust in the power of word and spirit, and our God whose power is made perfect in weakness. Let's pray. Our Father, we we turn to you because we know that that you alone, uh, you alone can convert the nations. You alone can turn us to yourself. You alone can turn our hearts to you. You alone can turn uh, the hearts of those around us to you as well. We we pray, Father, therefore, uh, we pray that you would pour out your spirit, that you would pour out your spirit on us, uh, that you would humble us and use us, uh, not because we're so articulate, not because we're so such amazing speakers, but that you would use us uh in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our stuttering and stammering, we pray that you, would, that you would work by your spirit to draw men and women to yourself and to your son Jesus. Father, we, we pray that you would work in the hearts of those around us, that you would humble them and soften their hearts like you did the heart of Sergius Paulus. We pray that you would soften their hearts and open them up, that when they hear the truth of the gospel that they would be amazed at the teaching of the Lord and that they would put their trust in Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.